be seated. Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. Man, I think I think we I, we were still catching some people in mid seat, so I'm gonna say that again. Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. There we go. There we go. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, we're singing that song, "All My Hope Is in Jesus." Um, if you know a part of just my family story, last year, um, around this time, we were moving up from Texas, and right before we were um, going to move up, we thought that our adoption would be finalized of our kids and that we would move seamlessly because we didn't think, we didn't know how it would work out. And I, I told FBC beforehand, I said, I'm on board with coming as long as we don't lose the kids. Because those are our kids, and, and we're, they're our kids. And so um, they somehow some people wrote some letters, made some calls, and we were able to bring the kids um, as foster children across state lines, which, which does not happen a lot when there's a non-kinship placement. And uh, this past uh, May 4th marked us having the kids for two years. And this past Friday... We signed adoptive placement paperwork. And so, yeah. And, and so we are just waiting now for everything to go through, get processed, and, and hopefully get a phone call date where we'll have a court date by phone, and then we'll prepare to throw a celebration uh, for those three little ones becoming ours. So... Um, if this is your first time here, I want to thank you for being with us and let you know that as I speak today that I will be speak, speaking and putting page numbers on the screen, and those page numbers will correlate to the blue Bibles that are in your seat. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that one as our gift to you. If you don't have one that's easy to read, then please take that as, an, as a gift to you. If you know someone that does not have a Bible of their own or one that's easy to read, then please take that one as a gift from the both of us and give it to them. If it would be easier for you to read from a, a Spanish version of the Bible that we're using, then just raise your hand and our ushers will get one to you. Last week, we were blessed uh, with a panel uh, of great ladies uh, and, and sharing their stories um, here on stage. And so we took a break from our Nothing to Lose series for that um, last week. And now this week, we're stepping back into our Nothing to Lose series. And in the first two series, we talked about how it looks um, to live like there's nothing to lose, and then how it looks to give like there's nothing to lose. And this whole series is about what it looks like when we completely turn over our lives to God. We're talking about things that in Scripture are not optional, but somehow along the way in the church, we have made optional things. And so this week, we'll continue on, and we're looking at another one of Paul's writings as our focal text. And, and this one is to believe to be Paul's magnum opus, like his greatest work, his, his culmination of all his life experiences and journeys and different things of that nature. And so I'm excited about getting into this. I got a lot to cover this morning because we're, we're, just, we're covering a, a really familiar passage of Scripture to, to many. And it's Romans 12, 1 through 8, and it's found on page 682 of those blue Bibles if you haven't already got there. So let's, let's get there, and I want to read, and I want to get in to the word this morning. 
Here's what it says there in Romans 12, 1 through 8. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. This is God's word. In the 1930s at a Christian conference, a 15-year-old girl was very moved by the messages and decided to make a vow to Christ for the rest of her life in a special way. If you worked with youth ministry in any way over the past, then you know that this happens a lot at Christian camps, at church camp in the summer, different things of that nature. But the young girl, um, she made a commitment to be a missionary to Asia for the rest of her life as soon as she could. Now, the young girl was not unlike many Christians who had made these type of vows. Um, A lot of them don't even last a couple of weeks, but she stuck with it. And as the years went by, she went through high school and she kept her resolve and she did her research. She went to missionary agencies and, and she learned how difficult it was. This was the 1930s. Do you have any idea of how many Christian missionaries were being killed in Asia because of all that was going on? But knowing all of that, she had, she, that she had learned, she still wanted to go. And as she prepared, um, the mission agencies had two requirements for her. They said, there's two things that, that you're going to need to do if you want us to support and send you out. And the first one is that you're going to need to get training. You're going to need cross-cultural training and Bible training and theology training. And you're going to need all these lists of things. And she said, okay. And they said, oh, and by the way, the second thing is that you're going to need to be married. Because in the 1930s, because of not only safety, but because of the culture that she was going to reach, they didn't send single American women into Asia. I have some friends that are missionaries to Brazil, and, and, and the IMB, the International Mission Board, they, didn't, they don't send uh, single males or females into Brazil for a lot of different reasons. So here she was. She said, okay, I'm on board. So one night... 
Near the end of high school, she sat down and said, Lord, I take my hands off my life. I give you everything. I don't care about a comfortable life. I don't, I don't care about a safe life. I'm going to give you my whole life. Everybody else is getting ready to have a lot of fun, but I'm going to give myself to missionary service. I'm going to do all the training I need. There's only one thing I need from you. I, I need a husband. After high school, she went to Bible college, and she knew, by, she knew by going to Bible college that she had narrowed what she was going to be able to do in the future, but she already knew what she wanted. And so as soon as she went in, she wanted Bible and theology and, and cross-cultural training because that's what the missionary agency said that she was going to need. And after she got done with four years of Bible college, she went to graduate school, kind of missionary school. That's, that's like our seminaries. And, 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 and there she would go into her training and all the additional training that she needed. And, and, and see, knowing that this sermon is about serving like there's nothing to lose, most of us in this room hear a story like this and, and, and think that this is what it means to live like there's nothing to lose and, 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 and serve like there's nothing to lose. And most of us would also suddenly feel some sense of guilt because we feel incapable of making the type of commitment that this young lady made or incapable of committing with that kind of follow through and and thus that it's impossible for us to fulfill God's will for our lives in this area. And that is exactly why I'm starting this sermon with this story. As much as I want to explain why serving the community is key, one of our rhythms of community I feel that it's equally important to describe what it is not. Why? Well, let's finish the story. At the end of Bible college, there was no husband, no boyfriend, no prospects. As she went into her two years of graduate school, there was no boyfriend, no husband, no prospects. On the night before she was about to graduate from Graduate school, there was no boyfriend, no husband, no prospects. She said that night, the night before I was supposed to graduate, I sat in my dorm room as an angry young lady. She said, God, how could you do this to me? I have nothing else uh, that I can do. I have nowhere else to go. I've put everything into this. I have no other prospects. I committed my whole life to you. I took my, my hands off my life. I gave you my life, and I only asked of you one thing, and you didn't do it. How could you do this to me? She said she wrestled with God, and she was angry. Incredibly, that night she realized something. She suddenly realized that she'd been kidding herself. She suddenly realized that she wasn't miserable because she had taken her hands off her life. She was miserable because she had never taken her hands off her life. She realized that she had developed this ideal of a heroic life. She had developed this ideal of a noble life that that she was using God to build her hero story instead of using her life to bring him glory. She had this ideal of this noble, heroic life, uh, and she was telling God that this is the life that that, that you have to give to me. She was telling God that that here's how you have to get it for me, that, that she was doing everything she could basically to put God in debt to her so that he would have to do what she wanted him to do. She began to realize that I have never taken my hand off my life. I was using God. I wasn't serving God. I was telling him what he had to do. She was a part of deity tracking, trafficking. You know what I mean, right? 
I mean, in human trafficking, we see people use other human beings for their pleasure in exchange for services. In deity trafficking, we do the same thing with God. If you are serving in hopes that God will fix your kid, your marriage, your health, your job, your self-image, whatever, then you have just made yourself a John and you've made God a prostitute. If you, if you stop serving when a certain person doesn't give you the recognition that you think you deserve or, or the way that you serve isn't highlighted or raised to the top in the way that you think you are a part of church trafficking, you are using the community of God to build your self-image and worth rather than giving yourself to the body out of a loving response to God. The young lady in this story spent one third of her life preparing herself for a missionary service, saying goodbye to everything, saying goodbye to fun, to safety, to comfort, to everything. And thought said that she had taken her hands off of her life. And it wasn't until that night that she had realized that she never did. So my question is, is if if that. It took her coming to a crisis moment to realize that she had spent her entire life um, living like she had something to lose rather than nothing to lose. Do you know? Do you know if you've taken your hands off your life? Do you know whether or not you're serving like there's something to lose or if there's serving like you're nothing, you have nothing to lose? Do you know? How do you know? I want to be upfront with you. During our time today, I'm going to issue a challenge. What I don't want to do is, I don't want to spur you to serve out of duty. I don't want for you to see service as something that is draining or to become depressed by what you have to do or can't do. What we want for you is to leave here seeing service as a privilege, as life-giving, and something that adds joy to your life. But how do we get there? Before we get to the how, I would like to talk about the why. And if we can all agree upon the why, then it'll make the rest of what I'm going to speak about this morning really easy. Why should we be living as a living sacrifice? Why should we serve? Our focal passage starts off with the phrase, and so. And it's easy for us to skip over those five letters and just keep on moving um, throughout our passage. But if we do, we'll miss a key part of this passage. We'll miss a key part of what's being said in this message. See, our focal passage comes after Romans 1, 3, 11, in which Paul explains the gospel and Christian truth. And, and so when Paul says, and so he is saying that if you believe everything that I've just spent 11 chapters explaining, this is how you will live. If you believe what I just said about the gospel and who God is and our relationship to him, then this is how you will live. And our passage is a summary of what he talks about for the rest of the book. Our focal passage is a a summary that he expands upon in the rest of the book. So Paul starts off by saying this. He says that those who believe what he was saying about the gospel will give their bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Now, the Greek word that is translated sacrifice means killing. 
So what Paul was saying is that those that make, uh, uh, make their lives about the gospel live their lives as a living killing. Now, that, that's, a, that's a paradox, right? You, you're living your life as a living killing. The, the church in Rome was not started by Paul. It was actually um, started by someone else. And, and it was a diverse church. It had Greeks and Romans and Jews. They were all a part of it. And Paul had two reasons for writing to this church. The first is he wanted to make sure they understood the gospel in case he never got there. And the second is Paul planned on using the book of Romans as a missions training guide um, because he intended for the Roman church to be a missions hub for him as he did mission work to Spain. And so this was to help train the church to get them ready to go out with Paul. So if you have any um, interest in doing work outside the walls of the church, the book of Romans would be a good place to start. And so with uh, the diversity of this church, there was there was people in the church that had no concept of the Old Testament. And there were people in this church that had converted over. And so with just these five letters, Paul was able to address Everyone, whether you were brand new to the system or whether you were converting over from the Old Testament system. Paul's message and words here would have been a head scratcher for both the Jew and the Gentile. And in this small statement, Paul addresses the heart of everyone. He said there are some ways in which this new life, this being a living killing is unlike the Old Testament system. And there's some ways in which it is like the Old Testament system. Paul pointed out that the Christian life was unlike what the world thinks about when it comes to sacrifice and that in the Old Testament, sacrifices were your way of getting right with God. That is absolutely not true of Christian living. Christians don't serve as a means of getting right with God or or getting God to accept them. That is not why we serve. No, Jesus' sacrifice is a sacrifice that ends all guilt offerings and sin offerings. We don't serve to relieve guilt. Because we did this out here on Saturday night, I got to go to church and do this on Sunday morning. That is not why we serve. Those who understand the Christian truth and believe gospel serve as an offering of gratitude and praise. Are you thankful? Do you believe in the sacrificial generosity thing? Are you showing your gratitude uh, through the way that you live, not out of obligation, but out of a loving response for what has been done for you? The second way that the Christian life of being a living killing is different than the Old Testament sacrifices is that the Old Testament sacrifices were a checkbox thing. Once you did them, it was over. Once you offered the sacrifice, it was over. For those who understand Christian truth and and the gospel uh, and believe the gospel, serving, being a living sacrifice is never done. A living sacrifice means every day, every hour, every moment. Right now, you have to deliberately, consciously, continuously, and perpetually offer yourself to him. It's constant. It never ends. It's intense. It's not a checkbox. It's not I served last week and so I'm free. It's not I served for 20 years and now I'm going to sit down and let the young people take it. There's no retirement on this side if you follow Christ. It's not I did my stint in children's ministry and so I can sit down now. There's none of that if you're following Christ. 
the way that the Christian life is like what Paul's readers would have originally thought of when it came to the concept of sacrifice is that in both uses of the word, something has to be put to death. That's the part we don't like. Something has to be put to death. What is it, though? I'll tell you what it is. You're not living the Christian life unless you put to death the ideal that you have the right to choose. I know that's a foundational thing for our country in which we live in, the right for us to choose. But but for us who follow Christ, it says that we have given up the right to choose. You put to death the, the idea that you belong to yourself. You put to death the idea that you know what's best uh, should happen in your life. You put to death the idea and you give it to God. It feels like death to say that, that God, you know best, and I trust you. Here's what you say in your word, and I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. I don't choose anymore. It feels like death, but on the other side, there's life, and that's why it's called a living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that leads to life. Right now, there's a debate going on in our country, and it's all around who has the right to choose. There are people in the church who come down on both sides of the debate. And I'm not here this morning to to, to expound upon um, pro-life or pro-choice, but I know there's people in this church right here in this room that come down on both sides of this. But I want to let you know that the world is not listening to Christians on either side of this debate. And here's why. The world looks at Christians and say, your faith system says that you gave up the right to choose and that now God gets to choose, but most of you choose not to go to church. Most of you choose, um, even if you do go to church, not to serve. How many years have we been okay with this old system that 80, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people? You choose not to give. You choose not to share your faith. You choose not to connect. All of these are things that God has chosen for you through your word. The world is saying that, that if you can't stick with your own faith system, why should I listen to you no matter where you stand on the issue? about what kind of choices I should make in my life. They're asking for more consistency from those of the faith. If the church uh, would live consistent lives, then they would be more impactful in the messages that they give. We wouldn't have to give so many mountaintop speeches, and we could be fewer of our words, and those words would be authentic, and they would have a deeper impact. But because we live inconsistently, the world says, I don't want to really hear what you have to say anyway. I can remember being on missions in Africa as, as Boko Haram was coming over to where we were ministering at. And there was Muslims in the community, in the village that said, I'm considering Christ. But the thing that's turning me away is, you know, if I do this, I'm going to be persecuted. And the, the ones that I know that are Christians don't even follow the Bible. So why would I give up my life for something that they won't give up theirs for? And and let me say this. If if you just heard what I said and all you can think about is why the other side is wrong in that debate, then that's another reason why change isn't happening. Our pride and our arrogance and our inconsistent living is killing our our witness and effectiveness and bringing change to the world we live in. Here's the last part of why we should be living killings and why we should serve like there's nothing to lose. 
At the end of verse one, Paul says that this is truly the way to worship him. I know that some of your translations say uh, use the phrase, this is your spiritual worship. But if you look at the translation of the, of the Greek words that are there, the word spiritual actually translates true. And the word, the Greek word used for worship actually translates service. So what it's really saying is give yourself sacrifice yourself, lay yourself out for God, put yourself in service to him, make him the thing that you live for, be a sacrifice for him because you're sacrificing yourself for something anyway. You're worshiping something anyway. You're laying out yourself for something. This applies to both Christ followers and non-Christ followers. There's never a question about whether we will worship. The question is always whom or what will we make the focus and object of our worship? Everybody lives for something. You have to live for something. And whatever you're living for, you're sacrificing for. You're a sacrifice for. You're in service of. You're not free. If your career is the most important thing in your life, it will grind you into the ground. If your spouse or your kids are the most important thing in your life, don't you realize that if that person rejects you, it will devastate your life? If that person is making choices that causes their lives to fall apart, that it would devastate your life? You're already sacrificing for something. You're already worshiping something. You're already in service for something. You are not free. And even if you say, I'm totally independent, I don't give myself to anybody, I don't give myself fully to any cause, then you are sacrificing yourself on the altar of independence and you're going to die lonely and that independence is going to beat you into submission. You're going to have to serve something. You're going to have to be a sacrificer for something. You're going to have to give your life for something. And only God is infinitely wise and infinitely kind and infinitely loving. Anything else that you make yourself a living killing for, anyone else that you make yourself a living killing for will crush you. Doesn't it just make sense that if you're going to make yourself a living killing, that if you're going to sacrifice yourself for someone that it should be the one who is infinitely wise and infinitely kind and infinitely loving, the one that won't crush you? Doesn't that just make sense? Make your life a living sacrifice. I know I've spent the majority of my time this morning on the why, but, but like I said, it's important that we agree and stand on together on that because everything else I say will be a lot easier. Now when we look at the how, How do we become a living killing? Well, it's not as hard as you think. It's rather simple. We follow the example of Jesus. The scriptures say, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the Catholic faith, they sometimes call the the, the pope uh, the pontiff. And that word pontiff is a Latin word that means bridge. And so what they were saying is that the Pope was supposed to be for the people. Um, they, he was supposed to mimic what Jesus Christ was for the people. Jesus Christ was a bridge for sinful men to connect with a holy God. And so they saw the Pope functioning in the same way to help make this bridge um, for the people to God. Now, in the Protestant faith, we believe that everyone is a minister. If you need more reference for that, see 1 Peter 4 through 10, 4, 10 or go back and listen to our message series called Living Hope. That means that everyone who understands Christian truth and believes the gospel will be a living killing by being a bridge that helps both those inside and outside the body connect with God. But it's not just important what we do, but it's also important how we do it. 
Look at verse 3 again. Paul says this. He says, I give you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. He's saying that your inner attitude is important. We don't serve to make ourselves look better. We don't serve to make ourselves look important. We don't serve to look down on others and see them as projects. We don't serve to make up for unchristlike behavior that we're doing in other areas of our life. We serve with humility. Humility is, is not thinking higher of yourself than you ought to and not thinking lower of yourself than you ought to. Here's another way we can mirror Jesus um, as we do life as living killings. We do it in community. We minister with unity. Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. There is nothing that he needed from man in order to fulfill the will of God in his life. But yet he and still he chose to do it with others. Those who understand Christian truth and believe the gospel will recognize that there is no place for long rangers in the kingdom of God. If you find yourself operating on your own, doing your own thing, then you are serving your will, not his. And why can I say that? Because the word Christian means Christ-like, and we don't see that in the example of Christ nor anywhere else in the scriptures. We have covered the why and the how and now the what. What does it look like? In verses 6 through 8, it mentions several different ways that people can minister and serve in the church. This is not an exhaustive list, but meant to be an example of all the different variety of ways in which people can serve. It's trying to communicate that everywhere is a ministry. In verse 6, Paul says God has given us, not some of us, but all of us. That means every Christian has some gift that they should be using to serve the body. The next word is different. All of us have different gifts. We need to recognize our gifts. Our gifts were given to us to use as a part of the body. That means that in order to experience our gifts to the fullest, then we have to be using them as a part of the body. Putting this all together, what does it mean? It means that on one hand, there should be no unemployed Christians. There should be no inactive Christians. There should be nobody who comes to church just to recharge your batteries in order to go out and live life like you choose. I know that's a hard word because a lot of times we're told, just come and just relax and just be here. That's not found in Scripture. It's not found in Scripture. We, instead of when you come to church, you ought to be saying, how can I serve? How can I do these things? You shouldn't just come to be served, but to serve. Jesus Christ didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You cannot be following Jesus if basically you come to church in order to be served and not to serve. What that means is you must not only get gospel ministry, but you have to learn how to give gospel ministry. That starts by changing our mindsets around time. In the scriptures, there's two terms used for time. There's chronos, which, which is mainly like the measure of time on a clock or, or on a calendar. And then there's kairos, which means an appointed time or, or it's like a God-given opportunity. And what it's saying is, it's just like when it says in the scriptures that at just the right time, uh, the Father sent Jesus to come and die for us as a ransom for our lives. In the same way, when we get to church, we ought to be walking in and saying, what can I do? What God-given opportunity has God shaped me for and gifted me for that I'm supposed to be serving in, in this moment and taking advantage of in this moment? Every single Christian is as unique as a snowflake, as a 
fingerprint. You have certain experiences, certain gifts, certain abilities. That means because you are sitting here today that if you're a Christian, you have these gifts. That means that there are some people out here in the world, maybe some in this room that only you can touch. There's some people that God has shaped you for and as a part of this experience that, that you are supposed to be touching, that have your name on it, so to speak. There are some people out in your neighborhood, in your social media network, in your, net, your web network, in your work network that, that you only can reach. And they won't be touched or reached if you think of yourself as mainly coming to simply have your spiritual needs met and not to serve. When you just come to have your needs met, you block the bridge. There's an adventure out there. There's all sorts of ways that you can serve. If you come and don't serve, you're resisting the will of the Holy Spirit for your life. Because the will of the Holy Spirit for your life has to do with the gifts and experiences that he has given you. There are people out there that he has meant for you to reach that none of the rest of us can reach. If your inner life has been changed, your understanding of yourself has been changed, all of your life has been changed because you made yourself a living sacrifice, you will not simply be a person who comes passively to receive ministry. You'll come in this church and you'll say, show me what I can do. And we want to help you do that. During the weekly challenge, I want you to have your phone out because we're going to help you begin small. We're not going to ask you to, to leave here and next week go home and sell all your stuff and move to Asia. That's not what we're going to ask you. We want to give you a preview of some, some, some ways that God may be calling you to serve as a part of the body. Two, we want you to help you build relationships. We want to give you an opportunity to join the team so that instantly you have more community. And then three, we want you to bloom where you're planted. We want to give you an environment where your gifts can flourish and allow you to see even more ways that God may be calling you to be used both inside and outside the walls of the church. If you're here and you're not a Christ follower, I know some of this may be confusing because you've heard me mention this gospel thing several times but not really say what it is. The gospel is that Jesus voluntarily laid down his life for us. When we were at our worst, when, when we had nothing to give, since we couldn't earn God's favor, the Father sent his Son to live the perfect life and voluntarily lay down his life as a ransom for ours. And when we believe that, when we trust in that alone and confess that we do, we do what we call stepping across the line of faith. Stepping over the line of faith um, means saying that, God, I'm taking my hands off of my life. I'm giving up the right to choose. I'm giving you control of my life. If you have never confessed that, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. I'm going to pray in just a second. No special words, no special order of words. Just a prayer of thanksgiving. And if you make that decision today, then here's your next step. Here's your first step. It's baptism. Baptism is the first and easiest step of obedience for a believer because all Jesus asks for you is to get wet. If that's your next step, we have extra clothes, we have extra towels. Someone um, doing this next song will meet you at the back door and get those to you. Say yes today. 
that's the first way you can take your hands off your life is saying, if I haven't gone public with my faith through water baptism, today is the day. We can make that happen right after service. Do you know if you've taken your hands off your life? Have you given up the right to choose? Are you serving out of obligation or is it a loving response for a sacrifice that was made for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even with a call as big as taking our hands off our lives, that you didn't leave us without an example, but you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come and model for us what it means to truly take our hands off off our lives. In your word, he said that I come to do my father's will and not my own. And even as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his death, he said, Father, if there's any way, any other way for this to go down, let it be. But if not, let your will be done. I pray, Father, that us who call ourselves your followers would would follow in that suit. That we would seriously think if we've taken our hands off our lives that we've turned over the right to choose to you, that we start to consider what it means to be a living killing in all areas of our lives. Father, if there's someone here today that, that came into this room not knowing what they believe, not really sure about this whole Jesus thing, that, that they've been trying to work their way back. They've been serving as a means to earn your favor. They've been giving as a means to earn your favor. They've been coming to church service or maybe reading the scriptures as a means to earn your favor. Father, I pray that today they will put their trust in Jesus Christ. Father, if there, there are those in the room who, who, who've been using a relationship with you in order to put you in debt, to try to force your hand, Father, I pray today would be the day they say, I realized that I hadn't taken my hand off my life, but today, Father, I turn it over. It's you that I want. It's not what you can do for my marriage. It's not what you can do for my kids. It's not what you can do for my health. It's not what you can do for my finances. It's you that I want. Father, transform our hearts so that we're able to be living killings for you. We pray these things in your darling son Jesus' name. Amen.